like I'm shaking everybody's hand today.
see these young people here this morning, would you say amen? amen. Young people, are you glad to see these old people here this morning? <laughs> would you say amen? One, two, three. Amen. That wasn't bad. <laughs> I'm so glad you all are here. I'm glad you all joined us this morning. This is a great Sunday morning crowd. We've had an incredible weekend. Now here it is Sunday. And God has helped us Friday night and Saturday night. And he wants to help us all day long today. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? God, thank you that you are here today. Oh, Jesus, we sense you're already in our midst. You want to help somebody today. There's not one person that has to leave disappointed or sad or downhearted. You can help us all today, Lord. There's enough grace and enough love in the storehouse of heaven to touch every heart here today. So Jesus, continue to bless us and help us. Thank you for what you're doing for us, for how you've helped us this weekend. Lord, here we are again today, trusting you. Meet our needs to speak to our hearts. Thank you, Lord. Bless us throughout this service. Help us to worship you with everything that's within us. In Jesus' name I pray, and all God's people said, Amen. I want you to stand with me, and I want you to take your Sing to the Lord songbook and turn to song number 224. Song number 224. And I hope that you will lift your voice with mine this morning, and let's just sing as unto the Lord as we sing about the Savior's love for us. Let's sing it together. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus
That's why you're here this morning. Amen. Young people, that's why you're here this morning. Because God loves you. And God has a plan and purpose. And His grace is extended to your heart. I thought of myself when I was about 8 or 10 years old. When I was in the Catholic Church. We'd go to Mass every Sunday. And then when we'd take our first communion. That was a very special time for us young people at, at 10 years old. And uh, the thing that I liked the most was all the cards I got. <laughs> Amen. But God had mercy on me. And God's grace reached me and brought me out of the darkness. Amen. And he wants to do that to, for every one of us. And it's by God's grace. Amen. So let's pray that God would continue to pour out his grace. Uh, on this service. I know he has been. He's speaking to hearts. And I appreciate that. And I, do you have any special needs that you'd like the church to help you to pray for at this time? Oh, we are. We do have a scripture. Okay. Sorry. Uh, amen. Psalms 16. <coughs> amen. Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord, my goodness extended not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. Their sorrow shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance, and of my cup thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in the pleasant places, yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. 
because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad, my glory rejoiceth, my flesh shall also rest as in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life, in thy presence is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. <clears throat> Heavenly Fathers, we bow in thy wonderful presence. We appreciate Jesus, the opportunity we have to call upon your name. And we're so thankful, Lord, that you're seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. And for all the needs of this congregation, from the youngest to the oldest, Lord, uh, you know how to help us. You know how to minister unto us. You know how to speak to us individually and collectively, Father. We want to have ears to hear what thy spirit is saying to us, Lord, individually. We pray that thou would comfort Steve Powell and his family, Lord, in this hour. We're trusting in thee, Lord, to work out your perfect plan and will. We pray your touch upon those that need your touch, Lord Jesus. We pray, Holy Ghost, that thou would continue to help those that, that are battling with cancer. Lord, Lord, they need your touch and they need your encouragement. We pray, Father, that thou would help our nation, Jesus, at this hour. We ask that thou would help our leadership, dear God, move upon their hearts, Lord Jesus. Uh, we pray that thou would bless, Lord, the church here, Father. At your church, uh, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We're believing in thee to bless, Lord, uh, thy young people to speak to their hearts today. Bless and anoint the choir as they sing, Lord Jesus. Bless the special singing, God. Bless the preaching of thy holy word, Jesus. Uh, may our hearts be attentive and help us to be obedient, not just hearers of the word, but God, help us to be doers of the word and help us to have more of a burden and a vision for the lost, Jesus. Uh, we'll be sure to praise you and bless you for all that you do for us, God, and continue to keep our pastor and his family, Lord, encouraged and, and bless them, we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So in a little bit here, we're going to play the family of God, and we're going to shake hands after we do that. And I want to meet some of you. Some of you, I don't know your names. I can't wait to meet you. And then we have some visitors here. We have a Lynn Amazon. Would you raise your hand, Lynn? Thank you. And uh, are you from France? Did I get that right? Oregon. Oregon. Well, that's close to France. <laughs> <laughs> then we have a... Terry and Kathy Gross, raise your hand back there. Thank you, thank you. And then we have Joanna Brown. Joanna, there she is. All right, thank you. Welcome, welcome. And then we have a Davey and David and Amy Lehman. Where's David Lehman? There we are. Thank you. We're so glad you folks have come to visit us today. And uh, again, we're going to shake hands and uh, visit with one another at this time. And uh, get out of your seats, take time to shake hands. We just want to welcome you all here, and uh, this is how our church shows how much we love you and appreciate you for coming today. All right.
Yes, it is. Stay 49. <laughs> That's right. If Dad can stay 49 all his life, I can stay 49, right? So please come Wednesday for that. I want to see what the important things are. Okay, March the 7th, 10 a.m., Sisters of Strength Craft, hosted by Amber Murdoch. For more information, you can ask, uh, ask Amber Murdoch about the information. Uh, there's a little bit more about it here in the bulletin. And if you have a bulletin, always look at your bulletins because you will find some very important things in them. March the 12th, time TBD. Does anyone, everyone know what TBD? D stands for? Stands for tacos, bacon, and donuts. Okay. All right, well, let's try that one again. It stands for time to be determined. Okay, I think that's what I like my version better. Uh, for the Sisters of Strength, a uh, new pastor will be meeting with ladies over popcorn, sodas, and water, and etc. Let's show him our strength. Further details will be provided. March the 15th, very important service here at the church. At 1045 in the morning service, installation service. Brother Chris Cravens, which most of us know, will be here. He will be joining us as we officially welcome 
Reverend Don Bates Jr. as a senior pastor to the church. Another special guest will be joining also uh, for this event, and additional details will be forthcoming. And then the last announcement that I have for this morning is there is a fundraiser coming up for NCS, Nazarene Christian School. Uh, there's a lot of information here in this uh, in the bulletin about the fundraiser, so please uh, check that out. And if you have any questions, uh, you can ask the staff members from the, from the from the school. You can ask uh, the Brooklyn Carpenter. Different people here in the church uh, know what this is about. So if you have any further questions or or wondering what's going on, look at your bulletin and ask questions. Okay. So uh, that's uh, those are all the announcements for this morning. Our ushers are coming at this time. And once again, like always, we thank you for your tithe and offering. And we know that God will bless you for your giving today. Thank Brother you so much. Some, yes, sir. Some of the young people wanted to help take the offering. Okay. There is a hand right there. All right. Brother, there's 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 Help out here. Oh, man, that's great. Somebody come over here and help Brother, uh, Brother Dennis. Hey, young man. Uh, Kylie, you want to go over there? Okay. All right. Both of you, that's fine. I believe we're going to have to get some more offering plates. I think we are. Man. <laughs> the offerings are going to go up about 20%. Yeah, so. <laughs> get that idea. Get some more offering plates. Uh, let these young people, these future ushers, take up the offering uh, and help out every once in a while also. Thank you, children, for wanting to help this morning. Thank you very much. I'm going to ask Brother, uh, Brother John Powell, if you would, please lead us in prayer this morning.
Thank you for the uh, offering. And if you enjoyed that beautiful offertory, would you say amen? Amen. Amen. I trust this song touches your heart this morning. You listen. No one knew how alone I was feeling In the emptiness I tried so hard to hide Though I laughed and said my life was fine without you I was covering up the secret tears I cried then one day, someone told me of your mercy and the love you showed on a hill called Calvary. There you died and purchased my redemption when you broke sin's power and set my spirit free.
glad I have never gotten over being amazed at what the grace of God can do. Amen? Amen. And I don't ever want to get over that. I never want to get over feeling a sense of gratitude over the grace of God and what God can and will do for our lives and will allow it to. Amen? Well, I'm very excited about this next special this morning. You've heard from enough old people today, haven't you? It'd be nice to hear from a young person, wouldn't it? Paige Sparks is going to sing for us this morning. Paige, the Lord bless you. I'm excited that you consented to sing. And the Lord bless you as you sing this morning. The mic is yours.
my high honor to introduce to you our speaker this morning. Paul Stetler is no stranger to most of you. He's been my friend a long time. I'm going to tell this joke on you, Paul. You're not going to appreciate this. So I have to confess that, that I snore pretty bad. I hate to admit that. But I sang in, where were we, Paul? Somewhere in Illinois, right? Peak in Illinois. And I had a couple concerts uh, on a Sunday morning. Actually, we did two different churches that same Sunday morning. Did Sunday in one church went racing over to another. So we went late Saturday night and got a hotel room, went to sleep. I just have to tell you, Paul snores worse than I did. <laughs> <laughs> it felt good, honey, to get that off my chest. <laughs> He's been my friend a long time. And God is using him. He works with young people all the time. And we all know what he's been through in the past 13 weeks. And yet, did you notice last night how the grace of God just surrounded him, helped him to preach to us? Amen. And I believe that's going to happen again this morning. And so without any further ado, it's my high honor to turn our pulpit over to my friend, Paul Stella. God bless you as you preach to us, bro. Thank you, Pastor Bates. It is such a pleasure, has been such a pleasure to be here with you. And thank you, Ms. Page, for that beautiful song. Enjoyed that. And I just want to tell you, my brother back there, I'm praying for you and for that situation. Um, I have a little bit of understanding of, of what those folks are going through. And I don't know where I would be without Jesus. So every time I hear someone going through a similar circumstance, I don't pretend to know the ins and outs of that situation or any other situation, but all I know is they need the big loving arms of Jesus wrapped around them. And I just want you to know I'm going to be praying for that situation. And uh, I've enjoyed God's presence here this morning, haven't you? I always used to think hankies were for old people. And I'm afraid I'm going to have to start carrying one. Because these days I just can't get through a church service without leaking around the eyelids. <laughs> Why? Because God has been so good to me. <laughs> I tell you what, when you've been flat on your back, and God's picked you up, and God's loved on you, and God's given you a reason to live, and a purpose for existence. You'll cry too, my friend. <laughs> you will cry too. He is good. <laughs> he is good. I want to sing that chorus that we started out this service with this morning. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. Yeah. 
and that you would make your name come alive to us, that you would have, help us to begin to grasp and to understand what your name means. For all that you do, we'll praise you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. We don't have time for the sermon that I was going to share with you this morning, but I felt God just nudging me in a different direction. Something that he has been laying on my heart in recent days, but I guess I would have to confess to you that I hadn't really lined it all out in the sermon form that I would like to have it prepared in. But I just sense that God wants me to talk to you for just a few moments about his name. Shakespeare asked the question, what's in a name? A rose by any other name would smell as sweet. That's one of the most common quotes from Shakespeare that probably every one of us has heard at some point. And yet it's interesting because that quote is pulled out of a context that says something very different. That quote rather airily says, what's in a name? You call a rose by something else and it would be just as sweet. And yet the story from which that quote is drawn is the story of Romeo and Juliet. How many of you know the story of Romeo and Juliet? I think everybody knows that story. We call a person who is uh, good at, at wooing that special someone and good at being romantic, we call him a Romeo, right? Well, have you read that story recently? <laughs> it didn't end well. It ended in both of them dying. Why? Because of their last names. Did you know that? It was because of their last names. Apparently, there is something in a name. <laughs> Apparently, names are pretty important, right? We talked about it last night. We talked about the fact that in Hebrew culture, your name summed up your personhood, summed up your personality, summed up your character. You were identified by your name. We've talked about the fact that in our culture, while we don't name a child from the very earliest days after some trait that we see that may define their future life, no, the name comes to symbolize, though, the kind of person that they were, right? If you hear the name Billy Graham, it conjures up a certain image. It conjures up an image of integrity. It conjures up an image of a preacher of the gospel, what a preacher of the gospel should be like, right? That's because he lived a life of integrity. He did preach the gospel. God honored his ministry and millions of people were impacted. And so when that name is mentioned, it conjures up an image. Yes, there is something in a name. And there's something in the name of Jesus, my friends. <laughs> We talk today in our culture about being triggered, right? There's a certain name that I won't mention, but if that name was said in my presence, it would get that kind of reaction. Why? Because I'm carnal? No, because the person who bore that name was a pedophile and took advantage of children in different locations. He was a pastor. And the denomination that he served ended up shuffling him from one church to another. And there was a string of victims that followed him in his path. I happen to be distantly related 
to that individual. It wasn't a holiness denomination, but it was a denomination that should have known better. And when his name is mentioned, oh, it raises my hackles. <laughs> he died never confessing. He was convicted in a court of law, but he refused to acknowledge his sin. And there's a righteous indignation that wells up in me when I hear that name spoken. Oh, I would have prayed with him. <laughs> yes, I would have tried my best to help him to Jesus. I don't hate him. I'd sure love to have seen him go to heaven. But there's still something about that name. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and yet there's something about the name of someone that we love. I think of my dear grandma, Grandma Stetler. Her name was Jewel. Now, I'm going to be honest. That wouldn't be the name I would pick out to name my little girl. <laughs> I don't know if anyone here has that name this morning, and if so, I apologize, but that's just not on my top ten list of favorite names until <laughs> there is conjured up in my mind the face of my dear grandma. When I hear the name Jewel, what is conjured up in my mind is images of Christmas time at Grandma's house. <laughs> when we grandchildren would gather around the dining room table and play that most annoying of games called Encore, <laughs> which requires people to sing snippets of songs at the top of their lungs, our parents would go to the other part of the house because they would get so annoyed by it but my grandma would sit in her rocker with a great big old grin just all across her face. And in fact, even as she began to wander in her mind and she began to slip away from us mentally, even when she couldn't call her names, I remember going to her house for Christmas and she said, come here. And I came over and I leaned down and she said, when are you gonna play that game where you make all the noise? <laughs> Grandma loved us. She loved us deeply and passionately. And we, when we grandchildren would make all that noise, it was music to her ears. <laughs> oh, sometimes it was way off key. Sometimes it was just noise. In fact, most of the time it was just loud and boisterous and trying to outsing the other people. But she loved it. And when I hear that name, Jewel, it triggers me. There's a warm sensation that rises up in me as I think about what's behind that name in my life. Let me ask you this morning, does the name of Jesus trigger you? What is conjured up in your mind and in your heart when you hear that name of Jesus spoken? Does it move you to praise and thank God for all that he's done? You know, we could go down through the story of Jesus and we could ask various people, what does the name of Jesus mean to you? We could ask Mary. Now, Mary was a mother and all moms are biased, right? <laughs> but Mary didn't get to pick out the name of her child. It was chosen for her. The angel came to her and said, you'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. Amen. 
What does the name of Jesus mean actually as a dictionary definition? It means helper. It means rescuer. It means savior. It means savior. <laughs> I love that, don't you? It's obvious that that was the meaning in that context, in that cultural setting as well. He said, you shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sin. You know, Mary had a lot of reasons not to be excited about her pregnancy. Because her pregnancy could have gotten her stoned. Her pregnancy could have broken up the engagement with Joseph. Because in those days, to become pregnant before you were married was a terrible stigma, a terrible shame. And you could literally be stoned for that under the Mosaic law. And yet the angel said to her, fear not. <laughs> fear not. And Mary submitted to the will of God. She had joy. Why? Because she knew that this just wasn't an ordinary baby. Yes, she was prepared to give those awkward explanations. Imagine telling your parents that you were pregnant and it was a miracle and it was God's doing. That's not going to fly, is it? <laughs> That's absurd. But she was willing to take it on. Why? Because there arose in her a realization. There arose in her a hope that she, a peasant virgin girl, of all people from a lowly place, was going to bear the Messiah. <laughs> what did that name of Jesus mean? It meant a savior. It meant a deliverer. It meant a rescuer. It meant a helper for the people that had been languishing under Roman rule, the people that had been languishing for 400 years of silence, no word from God. And finally, finally, God was speaking. Finally, after 400 years, God was speaking. Yes, that's what the name of Jesus meant to Mary. Yes, it meant her firstborn son. And I'm sure that as any mother would be, she was thrilled. But it meant something so much deeper than that. It meant the hope of the world. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, we could ask so many, but I'm going to have to limit it here because we're short on time. We could ask the woman at the well. What does the name of Jesus mean to you? <laughs> oh, I might have an idea of what the name of Jesus would mean to her. She was a woman who had had five husbands, and then she had shacked up with a guy after that. Now that disqualified her from association with respectable people in that culture. This is why she's going to the well in the heat, the middle of the day, rather than in the morning when everybody else came. Because you know how those society women are. <laughs> They're going to gossip about her. And so she's not going to go to the well when all the rest of them go. She's going to go to the well in the blazing sun, in the heat of the day when there will be nobody else there. And on this particular day, who does she see but a Jewish man? Now that's a, that's a problem. Because she's from the wrong side of the tracks. Jesus had told us the disciples, I must needs go through Samaria. They didn't want to go to Samaria. Why? Because the Samaritans were the ones who were left behind in the, during the Babylonian captivity. And they broke the Mosaic law and they intermarried with the heathen around them. 
And they were considered to be of ill repute. Respectable Jews didn't even talk to them, let alone associate with them. They would go all the way around Samaria, miles out of their way, just to avoid those people that they referred to as dogs. What does Jesus say? He says, I've got to go through Samaria. <laughs> I've got an appointment with a woman of ill repute. <laughs> and Jesus is sitting on the well waiting for her. You know what? Kings don't wait on people. You wait on them. Right? You show up early for your appointment and you wait on them. They speak to you at their pleasure. This is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the God who spoke galaxies into existence. And he's sitting at the well, waiting patiently on his appointment with this little Samaritan woman. Oh, isn't that beautiful? <laughs> oh, isn't that beautiful? She could see he was a Jew. She could tell by how he was dressed. She could tell by how he spoke that he was a learned man of the law. He was a rabbi, most likely. They wouldn't talk to women, period. It was considered disrespectable for a rabbi to even talk to a woman. And yet here is this obviously learned man of standing among the Jews in a Samaritan city, sitting on the well, waiting specifically to talk to this woman who's an adulteress. What a shock. <laughs> What does he do? She said later when she ran back into town, she said, he told me everything about myself. Well, he actually hadn't, but that's how she felt. Because when he fixed his all-seeing, all-knowing gaze into her eyes, she could see that he was piercing right into her soul. And what did he see? Did he see a dog? Did he see a Samaritan? Did he see an adulteress? No, he saw a human being that his heart yearned to save. He saw a human being that he loved and cared for more than all of creation. He saw a human being whose sins he was getting ready to carry down the Via Dolorosa and nail to a rugged cross. Hallelujah. <laughs> what does the name of Jesus mean to you? Oh, it means everything. It meant restoration. It meant respectability. It meant healing. It meant reconciliation. She ended up starting a church. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, we could go on and on. We could talk to Mary Magdalene. What does the name of Jesus mean to you, Mary? <laughs> oh, it meant deliverance from seven devils. <laughs> you know something? I'm taking a group from Hope Sound Bible College to the Holy Land next month. I wish you were going with us. You can go next time when we go in 2022. But anyhow... We're going to stay in a brand new hotel. You know where that hotel is built? That hotel is part of a Roman Catholic center that has been built in the city of Migdal. Do you know why there's a Roman Catholic center in the city of Migdal? Do you know what the city of Migdal is known for? It's the home of Mary Magdalene. Now, maybe your hometown has a sign out by the road that says... Home of Dale Earnhardt, or home of some president, or home of some sports figure. I live near the home of Pete Rose. <laughs> that was their claim to fame until he gambled and lost out. Didn't get put in the Hall of Fame. Anyhow. Mary Magdalene is the kind of person that your town might be known for, 
but you wouldn't put a sign out on the road to indicate it. She was that demon-possessed woman, that woman who was wild and crazy, that woman who was terrifying and dangerous, that woman who, if you saw coming, you darted in the bushes and hid your children from. That's who she was. Not just one demon, seven demons. And yet Jesus came. <laughs> Hallelujah. He wasn't scared of her demons. He was the one who had given the pronouncement to cast Satan and all of his imps out of heaven. He knew who those demons were. He had complete control. All he had to do was speak a word. I love that song that says, at the name of Jesus, hell trembles and Satan must flee. <laughs> Jesus spoke the words and out of that dear lady, those seven devils came and he transformed her life. She became one of the most ardent followers of Jesus. She tagged along with him everywhere that he went. And she did everything she could to take care of his needs. And do you know that she, when all the big burly men, all the disciples, all the apostles, even big old burly Peter that beat on his chest and said, Lord, when everybody forsakes you, I will never. He had fled. All of the rest of them had fled. And all that was left was a handful of women. And the most earnest of those was Mary Magdalene. Why? Because those who have been forgiven much, love much. And oh, God had transformed her life. Do you know that she had the honor of being the first person to see the resurrected Savior? What an incredible honor. He had not yet even finished the process. He said, don't touch me. I haven't even ascended to my father yet. You remember the story. She's standing there in the garden. She's blinded by her tears. She thinks they've taken away the body of Jesus. At first she had thought it was resurrected and then those men talked her out of it when she went and talked to them. And she comes back to the garden and she's weeping and she's saying, oh, they must have taken his body. It must have been a dream. And then she sees through the blurry eyes of her tears, she sees Jesus standing there and she doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's the gardener. And she says, oh, where have you taken him? I'll take his body. Now what's a little woman gonna do with a dead body? It was an irrational statement. But you know what? She loved irrationally because God had shown her an irrational love. God had shown her a love that cost the very life of his only begotten son. And she loved irrationally in return. And she said, oh, give me his body. I'll figure out something. And all Jesus had to do was speak her name. <laughs> and then the utterance of that name was pouring all of the love of the only begotten Son of God, the Savior who had just borne her sins to Calvary, the Savior who was on His way to heaven to sprinkle superior blood on a superior altar, making a superior sacrifice once and for all, sealing our redemption for time and eternity. And He says, hang on just a second, Father. I've got to stop and speak Mary's name. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> and when He spoke her name, she fell at His feet. She grabbed hold of him and she said, Master, oh, the love of that scene. I'm so happy that God included that scene in the Bible, aren't you? Mary, what does the name of Jesus mean? Oh, it means everything. It means life. It means redemption. It means restoration. It means joy. Hallelujah. <laughs> That's what the name of Jesus means. Speaking of Peter, <laughs> we could ask Peter. 
Peter was the one who was bold. He was the overachiever. He was the one who was always thinking outside the box and saying, why don't we do this? And why don't we do that? And often he got ahead of himself. He's on the Mount of Transfiguration, one of three, the three innermost circle who got to see Jesus transfigured before them, revealed as the only begotten eternal son of God, having Moses on one hand and Elijah on the left, demonstrating his superiority over, over the law, that is Moses, and over the prophets, that is Elijah. And they disappear and he remains. And God's about to speak. And dumb Peter interrupts and he says, well, Lord, this is great. Why don't we build three tabernacles and just stick around here? It's great to be here. And all of a sudden he is silenced by the voice from heaven that says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. In other words, shut up, Peter, and listen to what he says. <laughs> I'm sorry, parents. I shouldn't say that in front of your kids. <laughs> You'll have some explaining to do after this service. <laughs> oh, but then I see Peter as he denies Jesus and he curses and swears. He wilts. At the finger of a little maid poked in his face as she says, I know you, you're one of them. <laughs> I can tell it in your accent. I saw you with him. And he wilts and he goes out and he weeps bitterly. Oh, but then I see Peter, he's gone back to fishing. He thinks his days of ministry are over. Jesus has already appeared to him, but Jesus keeps disappearing. Jesus isn't like he was before. He's not hanging out with him and eating with him and staying the night with him and all that sort of thing like he used to. He's splitting here and there and disappearing and reappearing. And Peter just finally throws up his hands and he said, you know, I've spoiled my future with Jesus. He's resurrected, but he doesn't have a place for me. He says, boys, let's go back to fishing. And he gets in the boat. He's out on the Sea of Galilee. No doubt he's discouraged and depressed because the thing he's done all his life, the one thing he knew how to do, he can't even do anymore. He's been fishing all night and there's not a fish in the barrel. And then he sees somebody on the shore and he hears this annoying statement. Have you any meat? There's a land lover over there. He's going to rub it in and make fun of us. No, we haven't caught anything. Well, cast your net on the other side. What does he know? And John taps him on the shoulder and says, hey, Peter, that's Jesus. <laughs> what does Peter do? He wraps his cloak around him. He dives in the water and he swims for shore. And as he comes up on the shore, rather than eyes of accusation, he sees loving eyes. And what does Jesus do? Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, oh, yes, I love you. Then he says, feed my sheep. Those words had to ring beautifully in Peter's ears because he thought his ministry was over and he's going back to fishing and Jesus is calling him back into the ministry. But then Jesus asks him again, he says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes. And he says, then feed my sheep. And then Jesus looks deeply into his eyes and for a third time he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter is wounded, he's hurt. He says, oh yes. I do love you, Lord. And then he says, go feed my sheep. Peter was restored. Jesus tested him and he passed the test. Peter became a pillar in the church. Peter got to preach on the day of Pentecost. Peter inducted the Gentiles into the Christian church with the Gentile Pentecost at the house of Cornelius as well. Peter wrote two books of the Bible, probably influenced a third. 
Oh, what does the name of Jesus mean? Oh, it means forgiveness. After I've been a fool, after I've failed again and again and again, after I've rubbed my nose in the dirt and been an abject failure, it means restoration. It means forgiveness. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, I could go on and on and on telling you what the name of Jesus means to this one and to that one and to the other one, but we're just about out of time. And I want to tell you, what the name of Jesus means to me. <laughs> 13 weeks ago, our car slammed into a semi. We spun off the highway. We landed in the ditch. The roof was torn down. And so I couldn't see beside me. And I called her name. And there was no response. And all of a sudden, it hit me what might have happened. And I jumped out of that car and I ran around. And what I saw, I will never, ever recover from. And I turned away quickly and I was saying, no, no, no. And then I started saying the name of Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It was a man from the Navy. He came running down the side of the highway and he grabbed my arm and he saw what was behind me and he jerked me. He said, get out of here. And he pulled me back up by the road. And I just doubled over. And all I could say was the name of Jesus over and over and over. They stuck me in an ambulance and they hauled me off to the hospital. And I knew that I had to make that phone call to let her parents know. That was the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. I picked up that phone. And I told her parents, I'll never recover from the sound of crying that I heard on the other end of the phone. I'll simply never get over these things, folks. And all I could do was say the name of Jesus again and again and again. We went back to the vehicle after they checked me out and said that I was fine. You talk about survivor's guilt. <laughs> We went to the junkyard to retrieve some of the items from the car. It was too soon. I shouldn't have done it, but I did. My dad and I, we pulled stuff out of the car. And as we drove home, my pastor, my father, and I, two hours back to Hope Sound, I sat in the back of the car in a complete daze. And all I could do was say the name of Jesus again and again and again. I got home. My family did their best to comfort me. They wrapped their arms around me and I can't say enough about them and how wonderful they are. I can't say enough about her parents and her family and how wonderful they've been. But I want to tell you something. There was no comfort in that moment. I went to bed that night. Do you think I slept? Not a wink. Finally got up out of bed. I tried to listen to the Psalms. But every song that I heard had this contingency clause, if, if, if you're right with God, if you're his child, if you're this, if you're that, then you will receive God's blessing. And Satan was sitting right here on my shoulder and he was saying, you killed her. You were driving. You fell asleep. You killed her. I tried to pray and the heavens were solid brass. Part of it was surely physiological. I'd been through shock. I couldn't experience normal emotional stimuli that you experience in a normal setting. Normally when you pray and you sense God's presence, it brings a tear to your eye, it warms your heart. I couldn't feel any of that. I was still in shock. 
And I conclude, as Satan sits on my shoulder and says those awful lies, I conclude God's not listening to me. And all I could say, I couldn't even pray. Have you ever been in a place where you just can't pray? All I could say was, Jesus, Jesus. Walked out of that room. I went into the living room. I was at my parents' house. I couldn't stand staying at my house for a couple of months, actually. And walked in the living room where I knew my dad would be sleeping in the recliner. At his age, he transfers from the bed to the recliner sometime in the middle of the night because his back bothers him. And I knew he'd be sitting in there and he was sound asleep. And I sat down on that couch. I just needed to be with someone, even though he was asleep. Finally, after a while, about 5 o'clock, he woke up. And he said, how long have you been in here? And I said, I've been in here half the night. And I started telling him what the devil had been saying. And he prayed with me, wrapped his arms around me. My dad is not a touchy-feely guy. But I want to tell you something. There's nothing like a dad in those moments. <laughs> he just wrapped me up in his arms. And I did feel comforted by his presence, by his love. But oh, I still felt just blackness in my soul. And I walked outside and I began walking down the road that goes behind my parents' house. It's sort of a gravel road. It goes all the way down to the water, all the way to the intercoastal waterway. And I walked down that road and I tried to pray. I tried to say, oh God, I've got to hear from you. I'll do anything. I'll say anything. Whatever. I just have to hear your voice. And I found that I couldn't even pray. I still couldn't pray. Even getting those words out, I couldn't pray. All I could say was the name of Jesus over and over and over. And finally, I got down to the end of that road, down by the water. And God spoke to me for the first time in about 20 hours. And you know what he said? He didn't come with a whirlwind. He didn't come with a flaming fire. He didn't come with great emotion. He came very matter-of-factly to me. And he said, Paul, why do you keep saying my name? And without thinking, I just blurted out, because of all I know it means, and because it's all I have. And God said, exactly. He said, Paul, it's not about what you feel or don't feel. It's about what you know. And he said, you know what my name means. He said, you know that I'm the friend that sticks closer than a brother. You know that I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You know that in the day that you call upon me, I will hear you and I will answer you. Jesus Christ himself preached me a sermon right at the end of Kingsley Street. And oh, how I rejoiced to hear his voice. And I want to tell you something. That song is true. At the name of Jesus, hell trembles and Satan must flee. And the father of lies was kicked right off of my shoulder. And God reached down and he picked me up. And he gave me a peace that I haven't lost from that day until this. Do I have all the answers to my situation? Absolutely not. Do I still have some deep burning questions inside of me? Oh yes, I sure do. But I want to tell you something. I have something that surpasses all of those things. And that is the sweet presence of Jesus Christ. He walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. What does the name of Jesus mean to you, Paul? I'll tell you what it means. 
Is there something in a name? Oh, yes, there's something in a name. Everything. <laughs> Hope for tomorrow. A reason to live. The strength to carry on. What helps me lay my head down on my pillow at night and actually get some sleep? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Hallelujah. <laughs> and I can tell you, contrary to those first 20 hours, I'm happy to be here this morning. I'm happy to be alive. Oh, yes, I want to go to heaven more than ever. I want to see Jesus. I want to see Jacinda. I can't wait until that day when she and I can be in his holy, sweet presence again. But you know what? I can have a little touch of heaven right on this earth because in his presence is fullness of joy. And he's right here with me even this morning. <laughs> can you sense his presence this morning? <laughs> Are you comfortable in his presence? Let's stand together. What does this